0: Welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast. I'm Ben Dixon alongside Emmett Siegel and Sam Oshry. We're here to wrap up Maryland men's basketball season a few days removed from their 73 to 51 loss to Alabama in the NCAA tournament round of 32 in Birmingham where we were. It was a great experience, a uh, great season for the Terps, uh, not the way they wanted to end it, certainly. But I think, uh, you know, no reason for them to hang their heads low. Should be proud of what they accomplished in Kevin Willard's year one. But first, how you guys doing? Doing, doing well, well.
1: Ben. Emmett, I mean, it's good to see you guys. Yep, happy to be here.
0: Yes, sir. So let's talk about this game uh, right away since uh, we wrapped that first game up against West Virginia. That's in the podcast stream. Uh, we had an instant reaction to that in the hotel room in Birmingham, but uh, this game ended pretty late. Uh, so we thought we'd take a couple days to digest it, you know, let let the emotion sit for a little bit. Um, a season ender as well. But Maryland lost to Alabama 73-51. Uh Terp jumped out to a 9-2 lead. Looked like they may compete for a little bit. Ended up competing for about 30 minutes, but Alabama was just too good, too deep. Maryland just didn't have anywhere near the offensive performance to hang with the Crimson Tide. Um, but we'll start with just overall impressions of the game. Emmett, we'll start with you. Um, Twenty-two point loss. Um, you know, not exactly the way Maryland wanted it to go. Can't say you're exactly surprised either. But what were your you know overall impressions of this game?
2: Well, I think the twenty-two point scoreline is a little bit deceiving. It was it was pretty close for mm-hmm. a good portion of the game. It just kind of got away from them at the end there, but overall, um, I think they their defense was probably the star of the show. If there can be a star of the show in a twenty point loss, um, they did a good job of kind of controlling the tempo early on. Um, you saw Alabama didn't score twenty points until like fifteen minutes into the game or something like that. That's the only way you're going to beat that team. Um, at least if you're Maryland. So I thought that their game plan was pretty solid. They just weren't scoring on the offensive end. Uh, nothing seemed to be falling for them. A lot of turnovers. Alabama's physicality and athleticism seemed to be giving them a lot of problems. And then the foul trouble as well was was a big issue. Not having Julian Reese on the floor kind of killed them there. Um, overall, I think it was kind of what you expected against the number one overall seed for a team like Maryland. Obviously, it's always disappointing when your season comes to a close, but uh, like you said, I don't think anything to be super sad about or, or hang your head about. Um, it sucks when it's over, but um, overall, I think it's a pretty successful season.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> Alabama showed why they're the number one team in the country. And, like, we all we all knew it coming in. We said on the podcast before the game previewing this game. Maryland's going to have to play a perfect game to have a chance to win. Alabama is the favorite to win the national title for a reason. Recent- they're number three overall in adjusted um, defense efficiency for a reason. They're that good. They're that talented. And they're, they're that deep. So Maryland was going to have to have a perfect game plan, but also execute that game plan to perfection. And that included shooting the ball incredibly well from three. That included limiting Brandon Miller. That included um, staying on a foul jump. they did none of those things. They shot 13% from three. Uh, Brandon Miller, even though not an incredibly efficient performance out of him, he's still at 19 points. And obviously we know Julian Reese only got to play 21 minutes. Largely due to foul trouble. So so they, they had a good game plan. I agree with you guys' points about the tempo. It did look like it was favoring Maryland for most of that first half, but they just couldn't score because Alabama's defense is too good. Maryland wasn't shooting the ball well. They really weren't even shooting threes at all, which was pretty surprising given how much they kind of shot threes all year turn times and everyone was like, get to the basket, get to the basket, stop shooting threes. It felt like in this game, if they were gonna have a chance to win, they had to shoot they had to just have volume for the three. And shoot a lot of them and, and hope a bunch were going to go in. They only shot eight and made only one. So, so if you're, if you're not shooting a lot of threes against a team as, as good as Alabama, especially defensively, you're going to have a tough time winning. But yeah, it was overall a great season. Kind of a predictable result in the twenty two points twenty two point loss doesn't necessarily indicate how close the game was. Um, but it was overall a great season and kind of just expect a result against a team that is a favorite to win the national title.
0: Yeah, only eight three-pointers is definitely a choice when, you know, Willard's referencing a long-came poly to you, Sam, a question you had to him a couple (coughs) months ago about this team just letting it fly, and certainly they weren't afraid to do so. Alabama does have such a good perimeter defense. Um, I would imagine that played a part in it, but to only take eight threes is certainly a choice there. Let's talk about something that both you guys brought up, something I kind of harped on in my game story as well from Birmingham. Julian Reese's foul trouble. I mean, the guy had two fouls within the first three minutes of uh, the first half, and He's been such a focal point of Maryland's offense these past two months, like Kevin Willard said, since he's gotten you know fully healthy from that shoulder injury, which was probably worse than we were led to believe. But Juju, the way he's improved, I think I looked at it. I wrote a piece before the tournament starting, I think, that January 19th game, the first one against Zach Eady, through the end of the season. He was basically their focal point of the offense. And when he was on the floor, Maryland's offense was better. Um, and he picked up his first foul, which I, I thought was a foul right away. And then the second foul, um, you know, the the broadcast was saying that Brandon Miller hooked and holding him. Gene Steratore was saying that um, as I looked back on it uh, when I got home. It, it was a really difficult call about 50, 55 feet away from the basket where Miller and Reese kind of locked arms That that hook and hold That was implemented, you know, years back because Isaac Haas broke his arm in the NCAA tournament, the former Purdue big man. has kind of really gone away, but I I thought that was a really clear example of one. And unfortunately, you know, with that home whistle in Alabama, um, I didn't think the refs were great either way. But um, for that to to be called a foul on Juju was certainly questionable. Um, Kevin Willard said it was a terrible call. You can't take our best player out of the game, given how physical it was, too, because Maryland was making it physical. They were mucking it up. That was its only chance to win the game, as Sam mentioned. But uh, what, what were your guys' impressions of, of Julian Reese getting into foul trouble and maybe some of the, the calls called against him and just how big of an impact his absence had on the game?
2: Well, I agree with you. I, d- I don't think that uh second foul call was was a great call. Um, I think that the calls weren't great the whole game. It was a little bit surprising for a game of that magnitude. But the refs didn't lose Maryland the game by any means. The refs were in a 22-point swing. Um, but not having Julian Reese on the floor definitely – hurts maryland's chances i mean it exponentially hurts maryland's chances um you know we, we talk about them not being able to shoot the three not being able to finish on the interior and a lot of that is when alabama doesn't have to respect the pick and roll with julian reese they can they don't really have to fall back and give you those open shots from the perimeter they can kind of just pack it in they know you know they, they know they know julian reese isn't on the floor you lose that extra physicality that he gives you you lose that that extra threat on the interior um Kevin Willard called Julian Reese the most important player. I think he I think he referred to him as his best player uh, in the post-game press conference. Um we've seen some incredible development from him. Uh earlier in the season, there's a lot of concerns about whether or not he could hang with, with the big boys in the Big Ten, and he more than proved that this year. Um I think if anything, it has to be a positive season for him. Um didn't once again, it's kind of like the rest of the team. Didn't end the way he wanted it to, but overall, I think him not being on the court and the effect you could see that having on the team just shows how important he is to this team and how they're going to probably build around him for the future.
1: Yeah, the officiating in both NCAA tournament games for Maryland was pretty horrible. And it's pretty funny considering like everyone's talking about, oh, it's good, we're going to get away from the Big Ten refs, the officiating is going to be better, they're not going to call as much. But officiating against West Virginia for both sides and then officiating against Alabama, it was pretty bad both ways. I'm not someone to harp on the officiating necessarily, but it was, it was pretty bad, and it was kind of disappointing to see that. But you're right. I mean, Julian Reese being in foul trouble had an impact on the game and, and the officiating had an impact on the game. Maryland still would have lost this game mm-hmm. because Alabama's bad. There, there's no doubt about that. But if Julian Reese was on the floor, it completely changed that da- dynamic. Maybe it's closer. And it's also interesting that as much as Julian Reese has been in foul trouble all year, he only fouled out of two other games this year. And then the last time he fouled out here, I have it up, was, was against Michigan January 1st. So as much as he had been with fouls, and he had a lot of four-game fouls or four-foul games, but um, the only time, other time he fouled out was January 1st. So he really hadn't fouled out. This was kind of the most serious foul trouble he's been in all year, and it happened at the absolute worst time. You can make a serious argument that Julian Reese, especially with Jameer Young's struggle, struggles, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but you can make a serious argument uh, Julian Reese has been Maryland's best player for the last month or so, especially in the postseason, including the Big Ten tournament and the NSA tournament. So, having not having him on the floor is is huge. I mean, it's everything, and it completely changed the dynamic of the game. You could debate some of those fouls, including that hook and hold, um, but just having not having him on the floor completely changed, changes the de- dynamic of the game. And he had 14 points. He only played 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. He only played 20 minutes, and he had 14 points. That was the fewest minutes he's played since. I believe the Minnesota game, where they completely blew them out and the starters just sat on the bench for a a large portion of that second half. So, yeah, it was everything for this game. And, and Perlin had to, because he was in foul trouble against West Virginia, too. So was Patrick Million. But they kind of managed that well. This, this was not, this was not West Virginia. This was a different beast. Julian Reese is going to be in foul trouble. We kind of knew it was going to be game over. That's what happened.
0: It's a shame, too, because you noticed in the first half, like, He was the best big on that floor, and I don't think there was a question about it. In in those limited minutes, um, not the guy to kind of use plus minus all the time, but when he was on the floor in the first half, Maryland outscored Bama by six. When he was off, Alabama outscored Maryland by 11. So I think if you're going to use that stat in any instance, that would be the time. Um, Charles Bediaco, as good as he is, had no answer for Juju defensively. I mean, I I think just the steps he's taken to become – you know, on the track, assuming he's back next year, assuming he improves, gains a little bit of muscle, that shot improves a little bit, he's on track to become one of the best bigs in the Big Ten. So I think, or even nationally, if if he keeps improving, so I think if anything, this postseason run, yeah, Maryland wasn't going to beat Alabama regardless. But to see his progress throughout the end of the season and the fact that when he was on the floor to have such a big impact and won that West Virginia game. And to that Alabama game, even though he wasn't able to play as much. Um, the fact he's become such an impactful player and such a focal point um, of defend- of the def- uh, opposing team's defensive game plans, excuse me, um, s- speaks a lot to how he's grown this year.
1: Yeah, I'll just say to, to the point about the future of Julian Reese, this guy's going to be a serious problem in the Big Ten. And Kevin Willard was saying all year he would not rather have any other big than Julian Reese, and probably isn't true. Nobody really believes that. But the, the sentiment of the point is that, Julian Reese's progress has been phenomenal. I mean, people were calling, seriously calling him soft earlier this year. There was questions about how talented he was. They weren't even like feeding him that well because I think Maryland's staff had some questions um, about if they could trust him running reliable, running sets for him if he was going to be reliable getting the ball in the post. And he's shown that this offense can run through. The next step for him is we don't know what the hell happened to that shot. Excuse my language. We don't know what happened yeah. to that shot from last year. The season looks completely different free throws broken. Last year we saw him step out and shoot a bunch of – not a bunch, but shoot a few threes. He could hit mid-range. He didn't do any of that this season. So that's the next step for his um, evolution, and including if he wants to go to the NBA and play at the next level. Forget forget college for a second. If he has any prospects of playing to the NBA, he's going to have to be a stretch guy, and that means shooting the ball. So I don't know what happened to that shot. I don't know if there's going to be a shooting coach from outside. I don't know if there's, Maryland's going to bring in a shooting coach or they have someone on the staff that they trust. But Julius' shot needs to be one of Maryland's biggest priorities uh, this 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 offseason.
2: Yeah, I think that um, for all the credit that the staff gets for his development, and they get a ton of credit, especially Grant Bill Meyer, he's done it again with another big man. He's turned him into a great player, developed him really well. Whatever they did with him, they have to do that for his shot because if he adds that to his game, he's going to be he's going to be an impossible matchup down low. He's going to turn into that hunter dickinson type that can step out and kill you from three and when that happens he's he's a huge problem for defenses there's really no way to guard him especially if you have good guards which maryland is you know hoping to keep going in the future
0: yeah really impressed with him uh willard mentioned for juju one of the biggest things they worked on and worked with him this year, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily the shooting, but getting him to play on the perimeter, be a part of that pick and roll game, be comfortable with this footwork out there and inside. Um, you definitely saw some growth there as well. Um, and excited to see the future for for Juju. Wanted to bring up one more moment in the first half against Alabama that we'd be kind of remiss to not talk about. Just given that it was, you know, a sensation on Twitter and people were like, what the heck is going on? Um 350 left in the first half. Maryland only trails by four. Alabama's kind of gained control at this point, but this is a major swing in the game. Don Carey's called for arguably the worst foul call I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Namari Burnett takes a shot from three. He kind of twerks into Don Carey, who's standing out of bounds, and Carey gets called for a shooting foul. I I was, you know... Couldn't really see from our angle there, Emmett. but I was mind blown when I saw the replay. I kind of mentioned to you, I have people texting me, this is the worst call I've ever seen. And you're like, oh, that's classic Maryland fans. And then we saw the the play two two minutes later and it was like, come on, what, what are we doing here? And that, that, was, that was a big swing in the game. Look, Maryland would have lost regardless. But I think the fact that they were competing on that point and the refs handed Alabama three free points was, you know, uh, something that was definitely a little frustrating heading into half because Maryland was only down five heading into half. It could have been a two point game at halftime.
2: Yeah, that was that was unbelievable. I could not believe that call. Um, you know, I'll say it again, just so I don't come across as super biased. Maryland would have lost the game anyway, yep. but the officiating was really bad. And the officiating, like Sam said, was really bad in the West Virginia game too. Perhaps Maryland caught a break there. That's what a lot of people say. Um, I just this whole NCAA tournament, I felt like the officiating has been kind of disappointing. It's kind of like it. It just kind of sucks when you have the refs kind of deciding huge moments of the game. And we talked about with Julian Reese, you know, when you have one of the best players on the floor and he has to sit on the bench, the whole game, like that's not fun for the fans. Nobody wants to watch an NCAA tournament game where one of the team's best players is on the bench the whole time. You know, personally, I think maybe they should make it six fouls to foul out or something like that. Cause I don't think officiating is just going to change overnight, but it does really suck when officials are kind of having their way on the game three points wouldn't have decided a 22-point game. But mm. when you look at the context of it and you look at the fact that Maryland was kind of building a little bit of momentum, perhaps cuts it to a one-possession game if they get a stop there, yeah, I mean, that that definitely has an impact on their psyche and
1: certainly has an impact on the game. Yeah, the fishing for me, it's, it's yeah, there's there's going to be crucial moments where fishy, officials just get calls wrong. I mean, that's going to happen in any sport, in any setting. It's, it's it's Officials are human. There's human error involved. That's going to happen. Officiating for me is when it becomes a ref show. And that's kind of what you saw in the West Virginia game and the Alabama game where they're calling these ticky-tack fouls in such a crucial game. Like this is everyone's season is on the line and they're calling ticky-tack fouls for both ways, both ways. But it's just like, let the guys play. Like let the players decide the game. Why are you involving yourself as an official for a ticky-tack foul? That's like a questionable foul. Like let them play for both sides. You, know, you Like if there's a hard foul, of course there's a serious foul. If it's questionable at all, like that Don Carey three, 3-3, three, which wasn't even questionable. It wasn't a foul. But, and then there was a bunch of other moments, especially in that West Virginia game I'm thinking about. Um, it's just like, let, let the guys play. And it's like don't involve yourself and make you become a ref show. Like there was 20, it was like 20 fouls in that West Virginia game before like the eight-minute mark mm-hmm. in the second half. It was, it was insane. Yeah, like if I'm a West Virginia fan, like, I mean, I'd be livid that
2: Jimmy Bell fouled out with like 10 minutes left in the second half. Like, that totally yeah. changed the game. That yeah. tot- that, that was a huge reason why Maryland won the game. So, I mean,
1: you, you can't say that the refs didn't affect the outcome of the first game, for sure. And real quick, I'll get away from the officiating, because I feel like we sound like boomers yeah. or, <laughs> or some old heads here. Um, <laughs> but so you talked about Don Carey 3. Like, let's give Don Carey some, like, serious props. Like, Maryland fans got on this guy big time this season, and rightfully so, because he came in as a three-point sniper like that, that was going to be his role. And he seriously struggled from three, both at home and away. And, and it was probably a big part of why Maryland lost some of those road games because he, he was benched in a bunch of second halves. And just, he just, When he wasn't making threes and, and hitting shots at a high level, he just wasn't useful on the floor. So he was benched in a couple of second halves. And E Martinez took a lot of his minutes. But this guy completely turned it around the rest of the way. To, to end the regular season, I think it was like six consecutive games he already had one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive games in the, to end the regular season and in the Big Ten tournament. He was in double figures. That's really impressive. He started shooting the ball incredibly well from three, and he was getting to the rim, too. It wasn't just, he wasn't just relying on his three ball. He was getting to the rim, had some tough finishes. Um, and the same thing with West Virginia. He had nine points. Alabama, he had eight points. He shot the ball well from three in both those games. Even though it was kind of surprising he only took one attempt from three against Alabama, that was kind of the guy I wanted to see shoot more threes. But overall, like he had a great finish to the season and his collegiate career is done. Um, but overall, I think Maryland fans owe him a little bit, a little bit of an apology yeah. based on how hard they got on him and, and how well he was able to turn that round, keep his confidence up, especially shooting the ball and, and finish the way he did.
0: Yeah, you got to give Don his flowers. I think when he started driving towards the hoop, started taking better shots, that mid range shot, he, he kind of developed late in the season um he was just playing smarter offensive basketball and i think you got to give him his flowers and i also think something has to be said of you know obviously this guy came in as a three point sniper maybe that shouldn't have been his role because obviously he's a very good three point shooter but he kind of showed he's a little bit more than that he had some good drives to the hoop late in the season um turned into a really good defensive player i thought um instinct wise um big part of maryland's press as well um I don't know. I, I think we got to give carries flowers. Won't get too deep into it, but he, he really improved. And, you know, when Maryland needed him most down the season, especially when other guys weren't stepping up, he was, he was certainly a big help to that offense.
2: Yep. Totally agree with you guys. I think Don Kerry turned into one of the most important players on the team down the stretch. Um, that's what they needed him to be. You know, didn't end up coming to fruition in some deep heroic tournament run, but um, he turned into the player that they thought he was going to be when they brought him in. And, I think you can see that potential. It's kind of a shame that his college career is over. Um, it seemed like he was kind of just starting to find his groove in Maryland.
0: No doubt. So let's let's move on to the second half here and kind of where everything started to get out of control a little bit. The sequence I point to, um, Brandon Miller wasn't phenomenal by any means. He showed flashes of why he's one of the best players in the country. Javon Quinterly was certainly you know Alabama's best player that night, and he tormented Maryland for, I think, 14 and 11 assists two years ago in that tournament. So he's got – you know, something in the water when 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 Maryland, when Maryland, when Javon Quintery plays Alabama, he's he's certainly ready to roll. The or Javon Quintery plays Maryland. Excuse me. He's certainly ready to roll there. But let's talk about the sequence in the second half. We really felt like the game kind of ended for me. It's a seven point game. Um, I think Jameer Young goes for a transition layup could have been, you know, this is a brutal five point swing here. Could have cut it to five. He gets blocked by Brandon Miller. Then Miller kind of runs the floor, hits a three, extends the lead to 10, forces a Maryland timeout. And that kind of, at that moment, it, you kind of felt the momentum fully shift to Alabama. You're like, all right, any chance that Maryland had of competing, it's kind of just going to prolong the game from here on out. The result was, you know, was all but wrapped up. I, I think, I think you can argue that it was the whole time, but I think that moment in terms of when you're talking about just the context of that game kind of changed everything, um, what did you see from the start of the second half where it kind of really got away from Maryland and and Alabama gained full control?
2: It seemed like Maryland kind of in the early goings of the game did a good job of making Alabama kind of uncomfortable, forcing them to play Maryland style, which is vastly different. You know, Maryland is a slow down half court kind of team, maybe trying to apply some pressure to slow down the other team's offense, not let them get quick shots in the shot clock. And then in the second half, it kind of flipped. Alabama was getting more of what it wanted. The shots started falling. Um, Brandon Miller was the best player on the floor. Um, He's the best player on the floor in pretty much every game this year, no matter who they're playing. Um, Javon Quinterly was outstanding. He was the best guard on the floor, for sure. Um, I think you just kind of started to see that separation. Um, When a great team plays a good team, and I think that's what this matchup was, the longer the game goes on, the more you kind of start to see that separation present itself and kind of start to see that Alabama is just a better team that showed up in the second half as they got more comfortable. The crowd started to get into it a little bit more. Um, Maryland kind of, you know, you, you don't have Julian Reese. You can sense a little bit of maybe the lack of confidence shooting the ball and Alabama on the other hand is, feeling like it's going in every time. Um, Brandon Miller, like you said, he had that block and then that three. That was a huge momentum shifter. Um, I think just Alabama just proved that they're the better team. Um, Alabama, you know, they went on a run there in that second half that proved why they're so dangerous. And um, that's the thing that I was saying during the first half is that if you're Maryland and you're going to get these miss shots from Alabama, if you're going to force miss shots, you're going to slow the game down you have to be leading at that point because you can't be playing from behind before Alabama makes the run. You have to force Alabama to make the run to come back. And once they went to the half down, it didn't feel like Maryland had another 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. slowing Alabama down in them. So um, I think it was only a matter of time to be honest.
1: Yeah. Look, we talked about it earlier in the game, like Maryland was playing at their pace and which was which favored Maryland, like they wanted to murk the game up, make it a defensive battle, and that's how Maryland was going to win the game. And they were doing that with great success early on, and that's kind of why the game started, start, was, was a close game. But Maryland just couldn't score, and you knew The like you talked about Alabama's run coming, like you knew that run for Alabama was coming because they're just such a prolific offense. Like Maryland just could not score, and for, they weren't shooting threes like we talked about it, they weren't getting downhill. They weren't attacking the basket well at all. They, just, they could not find any way to score in Alabama. And you knew that run was going to come eventually. Because so when you can't score eventually, Maryland's Alabama is going to start playing at their pace. And they love to play fast. They shoot a ton of threes, shot 21 of them in this game, which isn't even that many for them, um, I don't necessarily think. But they, they love to play fast and just shoot a high volume of threes, even though they're not particularly a great three-point shooting. But they just get up and down the floor. And mm-hmm. as that second half started happening, especially with that, that turning point Brandon Miller gets the block and then for the bucket you know he the, the game just completely turned and, and they were just it was their pace like they had complete control um of the tempo of that game and they were playing fast and when you're playing fast and you can't score it's going to get ugly quickly and then that's exactly what happened for Maryland
0: yeah I wrote about kind of how Maryland played that first half at their pace it was the only way they were going to win the game Willard admitted after the game Um, to be honest with you, I think you're going to have to to play that way to beat them. That's what he said, Um, and I totally agree because the the only way, especially when you're just lacking in in the personnel department compared to them, um, both athleticism-wise, talent-wise, you're going to have to slow the game down. And Maryland did a good job of that for 20 to 30 minutes until Alabama really took control there. But, uh, yes, to Sam's point, the offense was certainly not good enough for – an upset. And, and let's kind of talk about um you know this attack and and its best player all year long in, in Jameer Young, who really struggled in the postseason. Um he didn't have a terrible game against Alabama by any means. Um he had 12 points, five of thirteen shooting, over for one from three. Only got to the line once, was two for two from the line. Um so when Jameer's at his best, he's one getting to the line more, which I don't think he was getting as many of those calls in the postseason. Um, and two, you know, you need a couple threes room. him. You need really the need 20 plus point game from him um, to be able to, you know, knock off a team like Alabama. But on Jameer, you know, a, a guy who struggled these four games in the postseason, you, almost, you feel bad because he had such a good season. He was the reason why Maryland was safely in the tournament this whole entire time. Yes, Kevin Willard said they've ran their offense through Juju these past two months, but Jameer Young has been by far their best player all season long. Um, Emma, we'll start with you here. What did you see from Jameer, you know, in that game against Alabama and really just these four postseason games as a whole, even the Minnesota game, he struggled. So we're talking Minnesota, Indiana, and in the big 10 tournament, then West Virginia and Alabama in the NCAAs um, just didn't look like the same player.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was the physicality seemed mm-hmm. to bother him a bit. Um seemed like opposing teams, they figured out, you know, you say they're running the offense through Juju. It, they kind of figured out that Maryland's entire offense is based off the pick and roll with, Young and Reese. And what they were doing is they were kind of just rushing Jameer, making it hard on him, uh, not letting him get to the rim where he's so good at finishing, not letting him step out for a three. He's not a great three-point shooter. So you'll kind of let him have that more often than not, but still not letting him have anything easy. Um, I think teams just kind of started to figure him out. Um, Naturally, when there's a guy that comes into the conference, he's new. There's probably a learning curve there. Teams are seeing him for the first time. And you know, Jameer Young at home is a different player than Jameer Young on the road. I think everyone on Maryland at home is a different player than them on the road. Um, just overall, I'd say the physicality was the main thing that seemed to give him problems. Um, and it does suck, like you said, like for him to have such an amazing year and then for it to end there on the biggest stage and doesn't put together his best performances that, that, that is pretty disappointing. But, um, I think you can't take anything away from what he meant to this team, uh, what he meant to the program for rejuvenating it in his first year um, here in his first year with Kevin Willard as a coach. Um, He is a a key piece. You know, he could come back next year. We don't really know yet. Um, You know, if we have any more info, we'll let you guys know, but um, yeah, it it was disappointing to see um, not the same Jameer young. We saw from earlier in the season before the game, we said you're going to need that same Julian Reese from the West Virginia game. In the Alabama game, you're going to need that Jameer Young from earlier in the season. And unfortunately, he didn't
1: really get either. Yeah, you saw how emotional he was after the game crying on the bench. And that just shows how much Maryland truly means to him. Yeah. And you, like, he kind of talked about it all year. And you saw the home environment, how excited he was getting, and his interactions with the fans. But, like, in that moment, you really saw, like, it really meant a lot to him to, to come home and play for Maryland and really have the season that he had. As for his struggles in the postseason, a big part of it was just to me was tightened game plans. Like your game plans are so much more elevated. You have so much more details in them about specific players' tendencies than, than you in a postseason play when it's so much more important, all the games matter so much more than a regular season game. Like regular season, of course, there, there's certainly game plans and, and, and you have scattering ports on all these guys, and you want to try to figure out ways to limit them, um, whether that's doubles, whether that's splitting screens, whether that's all these different things for different teams. But in postseason play, you pay so much more attention to individuals' tendencies, and and, and you're kind of right where the book was out on him. Like, in his screens, like, you you just blitz or you really hard-hedge his screens, and you make him give the ball up. West Virginia did a phenomenal job of that. I mean, there was two moments in that game where Maryland got really lucky, where they could have lost the game um, if Jabir Young, if, if it wasn't for, like, a lucky play because they, they had great blitzes of the screens, and they just straight double jimmy young he picked up his dribble and he was in a difficult situation and maryland somehow escaped both of those kind of luckily um but that that was kind of the game plan and alabama did the same thing and minnesota and indiana did the same thing Mm -hmm. just being physical with him on the perimeter but that's a lot to do with his his ball screens because talked about it all year like his baskets and his playmaking ability came off the screen and rolled with him as the ball hammer. so so when you have a great defensive game plan and you're physical with him in those settings like defenses have been you're, you're gonna have a lot of success and I don't necessarily know the answer. If he does come back, obviously, there's no answer for this season. I don't know the answer um, to to kind of counteract that. Maybe you take him off the ball a little bit more, but he really thrives when he has the ball in his his hands. So I don't really know the answer. I'm sure Willard and his staff have figured out how to kind of counteract that physicality. But it was interesting because all year we kind of said that the adjustment in terms of physicality from him into the Big Ten was – there was no adjustment. It was seamless, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And, and a lot of guards who come from mid-major or um, programs, there is an adjustment. You saw with Fats Russell, he started cooking at the end of the last season, but it was a serious adjustment when yes. he struggled in Big Ten play and he was struggling with the with the physicality. And it took him a while to get used to it. Jameer Young, there was really no transition. It was, it was pretty seamless. It se- seemed to never bother him. But then in these settings, once they figure out that the, the game plans are tightened, every single play matters so much more where it's like, you're not, you're not. Dude, you're not blitzing or hard hedging on certain screens like you would be in the regular season. It's really like every single uh, ball screen situation that he's in, so you can limit him. And also, I think it was Ben that you brought up a good point earlier. Like, the, the he wasn't getting near as many calls going yeah. to the rim. Like the Big Ten officials gave him a ton of calls going to the rim on a lot, of, and that's where he got a lot of his points at the free throw line. He's not getting those in, in a physical nature of, of an NCAA tournament or a Big Ten tournament game. So that, that's kind of where his struggles came from. But you really can't say enough about the season he had. I mean, he's the only reason, not the only reason, but he is the number one primary reason. No one even is, comes close as to why Maryland had the season that he had. He was just phenomenal all year, all Big Ten second team. Can't say enough about the year he had, and, and we'll see if, if he returns or what the rest of his basketball future holds. But it's, it's certainly a possibility that he's wearing a Maryland uniform again next year.
0: Yeah, to to your guys' points, kind of about the physicality, game planning. I think he he's also only six one. Like he looks, he looks smaller with both of those things combined, especially in the NCAA tournament. Um, so disappointing way for him to end the season, but certainly someone who you know was absolutely vital to Maryland's success. I think one player I'd compare him to, maybe not game by game or absolute style, stylistic wise, but maybe size wise and transition wise, is Tyson Walker on Michigan State who transferred from Northeastern. And he was, you know, not great in his first year. Jameer Young obviously had a much better first year at Maryland, but he only averaged eight points per game um, in his first year last season at Michigan State, and he kind of stayed stayed at Michigan State – had another year under his belt adjusting to the Big Ten and the postseason, and he's had an excellent year this season, averaging 15 points per game. Another small guard um, like Jameer, he's only six foot, um, and now Michigan State's in the Sweet 16. So I, I think an interesting comparison that just came to mind in, in my head there and, and wanted to share. But anything you guys want to talk about with this Alabama game before we kind of move to some big-picture stuff, wrapping up the season and, and looking ahead?
1: Yeah, there is, and this is probably a good segue to the big-picture stuff. But two other guys that may have played their last game in a Maryland uniform, Hakeem Harden, Dante Scott, both really, really struggled against Alabama. And you kind of knew that if Maryland was going to go on any type of postseason run and kind of shock the world, those two guys are going to have to play at a really high level. And Hakeem Harden's been pretty great down the stretch. I mean, he's done his job. Dante Scott had a very inconsistent year with some some very high moments and some very low moments. Um, but those two guys were two for 14 combined from the field against Alabama. And that just that's just not going to cut it. I think one in three points and one in four points. It just they, they, there was no scoring production from them. They weren't even really attempting threes and kind of, especially Dante Scott. There was moment, there was games, a lot of games this year where people wanted him to get downhill instead of jacking him up from threes. And this game was kind of the opposite. I kind of wanted to see him attempt more threes. Same with the team heart. Um, if that is the end of them in a Maryland uniform, I mean, they contributed a lot to this program. They, those two guys went through a lot in terms of COVID. In terms of, I mean, those two guys are Big Ten regular season champions. Granted, three between three ways but still Big Ten regular season champions. Those two guys went through COVID, went through the disastrous year they had last year with the Turgeon exit and the Danny Manning interim tag, and then the hiring of Willard and decided to stick around and had the year they had. And those two guys are a big part of Maryland's success this year too. But if that is the end of those two guys in a Maryland uniform, kind of a disappointing way to to finish their careers. But they both, they both have eligibility. I think we both, I guess this goes to some big picture stuff in the future. I think we both expect those guys just remain in college. I don't necessarily know if that means with Maryland. Um, if I were to guess, I would say Dante Scott probably won't be in a Maryland uniform next year, but I still, they still have eligibility, so I still think those two guys are going to be playing college ball next year.
0: I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel I, like
1: Dante I, might go
2: pro, personally.
0: I, I kind of agree. But what does
2: pro, pro look like international? Not in the NBA, I
1: don't think. I mean, maybe maybe yeah. the G League, but not not the NBA. I think... Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like, from his perspective, maybe – I mean, he's not a pro player in terms of the NBA. Maybe one more year under his belt, maybe in a different situation, ha- like helps elevate his stock where there's a possibility that he's – he's always been like a fringe NBA guy. I think this year kind of proved like he's really not an NBA guy, but maybe one more year helps his stock where he can turn into a, a second-round pick. But I, I do think the path for him is more likely playing um, overseas at some point, but we'll, 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 see, we'll see at what point that is.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's worth saying that there's probably some serious serious burnout with Dante and Hakeem. just to your point Sam, all the turmoil everything they went through at Maryland. You play for three different coaches, you go through COVID. I, th- these guys just might be done with college. so I, I wouldn't be shocked to see both of them move on and kind of just wrap up their college careers and and you know, play professionally wherever that is. But to your point about their NCAA tournament Charles before we move forward, Maryland needed, you know, a gargantuan, explosive performance to take down Alabama. They just didn't get that from Akeem or Dante. I think that's pretty clear. Um, they combined, what, two for 14 from the field. Dante didn't even make a shot, and he played 36 minutes. Um, disappointing, I think, to say the least, if you look at it from a Maryland perspective, especially because you did need more to compete. And, yeah, you lost by 22. Like Emmett said, the final score might not have indicated that. But if you get 10 apiece from those guys, you, you could be looking at a different ballgame.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um... There's no shame in losing to Alabama. Um, every time we say, or especially me, I've been saying this a lot, like every time we say um, Alabama is a better team or, you know, Maryland is just up against a better opponent. That's not a dig at Maryland. That's just a compliment to Alabama and how talented they are. I think this Maryland team was a lot better than a lot of us thought it was going to be going into the season. And I think that's a testament to Kevin Willard and the players kind of rallying behind it. And we're getting into big picture stuff now, but um, you know, a loss to the number one overall seed, essentially on their home court where you're competitive for a lot of the game um I I don't think that that's that's not a sour way to end the season I think that's if anything you know you look at winning an NCAA tournament game that's a huge win within itself um I think Mm -hmm. Maryland did what it needed to do to consider this a successful season um no doubt about it
0: no doubt and that is a perfect segue to kind of this this big picture stuff and I did want to start with Kevin Willard here and just talk about the job he's done. Look, Maryland, 22 and 13 in his first year. You won an NCAA tournament game, which Emmett said is kind of, you know, a win in itself, big picture wise, to actually go from projected 10th preseason in the conference to go forth and kind of, you know, Put yourself in the Big Ten mix until the end. Win a game in the NCAA tournament. You lose to the number one overall seed, Emmett. There's no shame in that. Like you said, I asked Willard after the game. Both of us did. Emmett kind of his thoughts on everything and and how he look at Maryland basketball compared to when he came in. 363 days later, he's like, I inherited five guys on this roster. I would have told you you're nuts if we made the tournament. Um, and and you know, or if, if you told him at the time that Maryland would make the tournament, and you know, they did. I think a very successful year. Uh, The buy-in was amazing. I think the sneak peek of what we saw with the defensive intensity, maybe the tempo wasn't exactly what we wanted it to be, uh, given what he said preseason and given the fact that Maryland played the second slowest average defensive uh, possessions in the country out of 363 teams. And you kind of saw those two forces collide in this Alabama game. But you know, grand scheme of things, overall a successful year. What are your guys' thoughts, Sam? We'll, we'll start with you, just given that you covered uh, you know the year last year with Terz and then with Danny Manning as well. Kind of moving forward, the contrast and in, in, in what you've seen from you know a, a media member's perspective.
1: Yeah, well, first, you definitely inherited more than five guys. Um, way more than five guys on that yeah, roster. Not really, though. It's in, not 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 in terms of impact players, but in terms of, of just the overall roster. There's definitely yeah. more than five guys that were yes. on the team from last year. I know that wasn't you saying that. I know that was him saying that. But in, in just in terms of compared to last year to this year, you know, you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. And like I kind of look at like Bill Nova and Kyle Neptune, who has to follow Jay Wright. And like obviously Jay Wright was beloved there and it was an amazing departure. Like he, he was beloved and and everyone just applauds the job he did. And Kyle Neptune has to come in and follow the guy who won two national championships in, in a matter of what four, four or three years, I think. It's completely opposite for Maryland. <laughs> you want to be the guy that follows the guy that everyone hates. And that's exactly what Kevin Willard did. Um, and to his point, like, even if Maryland didn't make the say tournament this year, and even if Maryland didn't have the successful season it did, especially at home this year, where he really reignited the Xfinity Center, reignited Maryland fan base, there still would be a huge leeway with Kevin Willard because everyone really hated the guy who, who, who he took over for, and, and Mark Turgeon. And there was a lot of sour taste. The fans mouth. So Kevin Willard did a phenomenal job. Like, there's there's no doubt about that. In year one, the job he did was he exceeded every type of expectation. I will say, the roster – I've thought about this a lot recently. The roster that he got was pretty good compared to, I think, most first-year head coaches' situations. Given the experience that it was, he deserves a ton of credit and his staff and grant that you talked about earlier for Julian Reese's development. But, like, it felt like Julian Reese was was down to take a next step. Like that's a really good player you inherit. You inherit Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart. And, and, and Kevin Willard deserves a ton of credit for convincing those guys to stay around. I think that speaks to his relationships in the East Coast, basketball, and just basketball in general, for how he convinced those guys um, to, to stick around and not transfer out of the program. But those are two experienced veteran guys that he inherited. And then he did a great job with the transfer quarter, of course, bringing in Jameer, of course, bringing in Don Carey, Patrick Millian, who who was a phenomenal transfer get by him. Maybe his most impressive given that he was playing for St. Francis last year. Who, um, who just closed
0: down all their athletic programs, by the yeah, way. Well, yeah, well, how,
1: how ridiculous is that? Yeah, I mean... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> that's absurd. Patrick got out at the perfect time, I guess. Um, but but yeah, so, like, he did a great job building this roster. I think, looking back at it, we should have given this, this roster purely more credit as a media, as an outside world and picking them to finish 10th in the Big Ten, even though it was such a deep Big Ten, giving them no chance of making the NCAA tournament. I mean, this team was completely disrespected from the beginning of the season. And really, as the season went on, even though they started 8-0, then horrible loss to Michigan, horrible loss to Rutgers. I think people started just disrespecting them and discrediting them again. So I think this team was actually better, and i thought about this a lot, than, than people give them credit for. The thing is, it's not as roster. So he did a phenomenal job getting these guys to buy in play hard and, and he, he he deserves an A for in terms of a grade for this year. he deserves an A no doubt about it. I think a lot of fans are still like there's a lot there's a lot that he has to prove still and people leeway is, the leeways the runway is really long because of how bad or not how bad the other guy was but how much Maryland fans didn't like him and how sour that departure was but I think Maryland fans want to see Kevin Willard bring in his own recruiting classes for the next two to three years, build his own team and then see how they perform and then see Maryland make consistent, consistently make sweet 16s. I mean, if you said before the year that Maryland had a chance to, to beat Alabama to go to the sweet 16 before the season, anyone would have signed up for it. Anyone would have been like, you're crazy. Like that, that would have been beyond a successful year. I just think, and, he, and I think Kevin was a great coach. I think he's going to do a good job, but I think the jury's still out on, on Maryland fans perspective of him. Because they want to wait and see. Okay, let's let's hit, let's have him build his own recruiting classes, and and then let's see let's see the job he does.
2: Yeah, I mean, just a couple points I want to hit on. I, I totally agree with everything you said. Um, it was just a question that I, I think I raised it a while ago, a couple months ago, but I think it's a good time just to revisit it. Like, where does this team rank in terms of the most talented teams Kevin Miller has ever coached? I think it's got to be pretty high. I mean, at Seton Hall, you're probably. Ex- with the exception of that 2020 team, you know that didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament. Same thing at Maryland. Similar with Turgeon. It's probably one of the more talented teams in terms of just the the roster you have that he's ever coached. So I don't think it's surprising that they had success. Um, but when you're talking about the runway for Kevin Willard, I think he kind of, perhaps, you know, in a weird way, shortened his own runway by having success as early as he did, and now the expectation next year isn't going to be to make the NCAA tournament and win an NCAA tournament game. It's going to be to advance the second weekend. It's going to be to finish in the top four or so, the big 10. But I think he's really nailed all the off the court stuff. And I think that's especially for a new coach and especially at Maryland where the previous coach for, he did have some success on the court. I mean, that's undeniable, but was undoubtedly not the right cultural fit and did not kind of vibe with the fans. I think for Kevin Willard to come in to immediately reconnect with the alumni to prioritize recruiting in the DMV, which he has done a great job of so far and continues to do a great job of for the next class, which, you know, he hasn't gotten any commits or anything yet, but starts to kind of build momentum there for him to do that, for him to re-energize the fan base, to say the right things to kind of act like a Gary Williams type in the sense that he's super intense on the court, the sense that he's not afraid to speak his mind off the court. He's very much so a straight shooter, except when it comes to injuries, he's a straight shooter. I think that
1: as every coach he, is
2: though, as
0: every coach is.
2: Yes. But you know, <laughs> he, I think, I think he's, he's even,
1: he even takes that to another level, but anyway,
0: um <laughs> that's the New York. It's the New York background right there. Long Island. Yeah. That, that's, that's pretty much what
2: he can say. Well, not
1: being truthful about injuries. That's what you guys do up in New York.
0: No, no. The straight straight (laughs) shooting type. Come
1: on. You're Uh,
2: you're a Long Island boy. You you, you should know. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, I think that uh, what he's done off the court is just as important as what he's done on the court. I think he's got people really excited about Maryland. I think that um, regardless of how it all turns out, I think there's no doubt that he's the right guy for Maryland in terms of the person he is. He's the right kind of coach that you want at Maryland. And he's, I think, the kind of guy that has the blueprint there to have success. He's going to get the most out of his guys. It's just a question of how does that change when you no longer have the buy-in from the under-recruited guys, when you no longer have the Jameer Young with his chip on his shoulder, you no longer have the overlooked Patrick Million. When you bring in the five-star recruits, when you bring in the four-star recruits, when you bring in the guys that are being courted by the NBA, do you get that same buy-in and 100% commitment to the system that you get that you got this year and that he got at Seton Hall, which made him such a great coach. I think that's something – that's that's really my biggest question, Mark, moving forward is how does he adapt his coaching style to having the kinds of players that you can get at Maryland and the kinds of players that you need to win the Big Ten and to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament?
0: Yeah, it's well, Real Real
1: quick, Ben, real quick, just I want to touch on something before you go that Emmett said. It's not just that he said the right things. He did the right things. Yeah. And kind of what everyone wanted him to do was do the opposite of what Turgeon did, and that meant recruiting – um, DMV players and his first recruiting class is full of DMV players that meant playing an up-tempo style and like you mentioned earlier Ben that they didn't really play super up-tempo they were pressing a lot this team's identity was, was pressing on made baskets and that's up-tempo in, in itself they were shooting a lot of threes and some points of the season for better or worse because they looked really bad at certain points of the season and they should have limited some of those three-point attempts but that's still an up-tempo style that they're going to play so so it's that that's the difference between him and Turgeon where it's like Turgeon did everything wrong for the fan base in terms of recruiting dmv guys in terms of playing in an up-tempo up-tempo style and reigniting the fan base it's completely different for willard and, and willard that was a big part of why the fan base got behind him because he didn't just say the right things he ended up doing the right things with his first team yeah i mean just you can even like look at the sidelines like
2: gary williams is at every game you got pat Sos at every game i know he's, he, he kind of just shows up at every game in the dmv it seems like but he's there um, you got a lot of the former players coming back. You know, Gravis Vasquez was there for the Purdue game. These are guys that, you know, kind of, I won't say fell out of favor with the program, but like kind of distanced themselves a little bit more in recent years. And to have him back and fully on board, I think that just speaks volumes to the kind of person that Kevin Willard is and how committed he is to working hard to make sure that he gets Maryland to where he knows it can be. I mean, he's had his eye on this job for a while. I think we all know that for him to finally get this job, I think he's making it pretty clear that he's going to do everything he can to make sure it gets to the levels that it can get to and the level. I mean, we know what the levels it can get to. I mean, there's banners up in Xfinity center. I'm not saying he's going to win the national championship in like a couple of years, but I think to get to a team that is capable <coughs> of doing that, I I think that he is definitely 100% capable of, of building a roster like that with all the resources he has now.
0: Right. He just, he gets it. I think, I think that's what I'd say. I think that's, probably some of the problems that people had with with Turge. Like he gets it. He, first thing he did connected with Maryland alumni, whether it be former players or, or donors or, or just regular school alumni as well. Um he made sure that was a priority first and foremost. And secondly, I, I think it's very notable that while the Xfinity Center, when it's rocking, is one of the best places to play in the country. He mentioned it Post game against Alabama, they started with like three thousand, four thousand people in the building against Niagara. It was definitely more than that. It was probably around ten thousand, but the place felt pretty dead. To get to multiple sellouts towards the end of the season, you go ten and zero at home. I think now that we've had what? When was the last home game? February twenty sixth. We've had about a month to, to take in you know the magnitude of that accomplishment. That's why they got in the NCAA tournament this year. Like, he's made Maryland basketball the or he's got it on track to be the premier program. It should be, which is obviously step one you want in year one as a new head coach, but he's made that place. Once again, one of the best places to play in the entire country. And I I don't think it's that far. I think some people were kind of losing sight about how nuts that place was. um, My freshman year, 2019, 20 before COVID when, um, when Mark Turgeon had that team in the top 10, and who knows what would happen if that tournament happened. Maybe he's still coach now as well. Uh, don't need to get into the, all the hypotheticals there. But he's made the Xfinity Center one of the premier destinations in college basketball very quickly in his first year, because I can tell you at the beginning of the year, given the fact that all three of us go to Maryland, there were a lot of people that were very disinterested in this team and did not and kind of, you know, took to that preseason 10th in the big 10 didn't really expect much so i think to emmett's point about speeding up his own runway yes it, it probably it adds some more pressure for next year in the immediate future going forward even this offseason but it also just revitalizes the juice surrounding the program that much faster
1: yeah and Definitely. it's that brought maryland back to relevancy it's not just like this program was irrelevant but like you're talking about fans and people were disinterested in this program and you're hundred percent right. Like this, this program was irrelevant last season. And because of all the turmoil that went through, he, that was step one for him is to bring Maryland back to relevance. And with an end state tournament appearance and 10 and home, 10 and 0 home record, uh, the packing, the Xfinity center, he certainly did that. He brought them back to relevancy, but even Turgeon at his peak in some of those years, those teams were top 10 teams in the country. Like Turgeon had some really good teams. And of course their expectations, um, including that COVID year, which, which who knows what, what would happen, but the, the the expectation going to the tournament and some of those Big Ten tournaments and NSA tournaments didn't quite pan out for Turgeon. And that was a lot of the criticism he got. But he built some really talented teams um, to, to Turgeon's credit. So yes, step one is relevancy. But this fan base wants Maryland to not just be relevant again. They they want them to be a top 10 program in the country. And I think that's what everyone was saying about this Maryland job when it was open, when, when Turgeon departed, Is like, this program is like has the potential. It's a top ten job in the country. Like it has the potential to be an incredibly consistently great program, potentially even a blue blood, uh, like it was years and years ago with, with with Gary Williams winning national championships. So, so that that's the next step. And talk about, you put a little more pressure on himself. He does because if this program is is having this losing in the round of 32s is just having great home splits, but really struggling on the road and finishing middle of the pack in the Big Ten consistently in two, three, four years, then then that's going to be a problem because step one is relevancy. And Willard completely accomplished that. The next step is is getting this program to be a, a legitimate contender, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country year after year after year. And I do think Willard's the guy, but there is certainly a lot of more pressure on that because because just exceeding expectations when, when it's not your roster in year one isn't going to do it the rest of the way. But in terms of who's the right guy for it, I think Willard is a perfect coach for Maryland. We talked about all the things that he's doing the right things well. He got these guys to buy in, even though it wasn't necessarily his team. He's recruiting the right guys well. And another point about the future of his teams, Willard talked about all year about how much he loved being around this group. And I think he genuinely meant that. And a lot lot of it was because he could have conversations with these guys because they were an experienced veteran group. I think that matters. Moving forward, like next year is going to be a pretty young group. I mean, obviously, they have three huge, uh, huge recruits coming in in the class of 2023. And those are going to be a big part of the team. But I think he's going to build this team with transfer reporter guys who are experienced guys who've been around college basketball for a long time, like the Patrick Gramellons, like the Don Carey's, like the Jameer Youngs. Because I think he genuinely knows you can't just win with freshmen. I mean, any team like look at Illinois this year, like when you have young guys leading your team, you're going to struggle. And he's, I think he's going to do a good job complementing his recruiting classes from the DMV area with transfer portal guys um, all around the country. And and I think he's the right guy for the job. And I think he's going to have success and not just make this program relevant, make this program a contender in, in the big 10 and in the country for years to come.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I have two quick points, both kind of building off of what you said. First off, you're right. I think he's going to absolutely have to build this thing through the transfer portal. Um, You're not going to be able to rely on freshmen completely. I mean, you know, you hope those guys like Deshaun Harris-Smith, Jamie Kaiser, Jonathan Lamothe, you hope those guys are going to be impact players in year one, but you don't really know. Um, But I think that it does matter for Maryland for the season it had. In terms of the transfer portal, you just look at all the talented guys from the DMV area that have spread out to other schools around the country. If these guys want to come back, Maryland is the place to go. I mean, Georgetown just hired Ed Cooley. You know, they got a little bit of momentum going now. Um, So obviously plenty of other schools in the area, but if you want to compete for championships now, and you're probably not going to win anything next year, that's not going to be the expectation, at least going into the season, but you never know. If you want to come back and you want to play at the highest level, Maryland is the place to do it. And that's the selling point that Kevin Willard has developed for these guys that want to come back. Like a Jameer Young who could have gone pro, but he decided to come to Maryland. Don Carey, it's a DMV guy who's already at Georgetown. He wanted to transfer and he came to Maryland, et cetera, et cetera. I think you can get those higher level guys that you don't have to hit on the diamonds in the rough, like a Jameer Young, like a Patrick Millian. You can go, I'm not going to name names, but you, you can go for the top level transfer portal guys. You can go for the guys that are at other schools that have already proven that they can do it and then just bring them to the big 10 and, you know, you have to adjust them to your system, but you can find success there. And the second point I wanted to make was about, pressure and about how much pressure is going to be on kevin willard and how much pressure he's put on himself and i think that is it's a pretty fair statement to say i think that if you don't want to be under pressure as a college basketball coach you can't be the coach at maryland you just can't do it you can't be the coach at maryland and put your hands up and say we had a good team but it just didn't go our way well. go our way if you want to be the head coach at maryland and maryland isn't like kentucky et cetera, right where you're expecting a championship like a national championship every year at least most of the fan base isn't but you're still expected to have a ton of success. And if you're not having that success at Maryland, fans are going to run you out. Like you said, Mark Turgeon had top 10 teams. He had really good basketball teams. But it just wasn't enough. It wasn't what Gary Williams was doing. It wasn't what Lefty Drizell was doing to a certain extent, even though that was a completely different era. But now with Kevin Willard, the expectation is going to be back to getting to putting up banners every year. And I think he's built for that. And I think he understands that when he says the expectation here can't be anything except for big 10 and national championships. That's not going to happen every year, but if that's not at least the expectation and that's not what you're going for, I don't think you're the right guy for the job.
1: It's fun. It's funny. You mentioned Ed Cooley because <laughs> Willard mentioned Ed Cooley like numerous times this season, about like how close of a friend he is of his. And, and now he took that Georgetown job and, and they're going to have some serious, serious recruiting battles, I'm sure in the area, but of course they did. And, Ed Cooley was at Providence and, and Kevin was at seen Hall, but I just I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, those, can those can two guys just play? By the
2: way, they should definitely play each other. Yeah. That's a great series. They should definitely do that.
0: That's what I was going to say. Just, just put, put all the history aside. Put yeah. put everything aside. You guys are good buddies. You're going to be bad in recruiting, but it's all going to be lighthearted. Get on the court every year. The, the area needs it. It would be great for college basketball as well. Um, but, yeah, so Maryland wraps up the season at – Twenty-two and thirteen, first-round win, definitely successful. Looking ahead to next year, uh, you got the number sixteen recruiting class coming in. To Emmett's point, we don't know who exactly is going to be in the portal just yet. Obviously, a bunch of mid-major guys. The team's been in contact with so far. I'm sure there'll be some some bigger fish that enter the ocean. That is the transfer portal moving forward. It is a new era as a not only with Kevin Willard at the helm of Maryland basketball, but how he's going to navigate this as well. Um, There's a new NCAA president with Charlie Baker coming in. Um, NIL is still really, really new and and the rules change and still basically unfamiliar to the college basketball landscape and college sports as a whole. So we're certainly excited to see how it turns out. Um, Is there anything else you guys wanted to add just big picture wise, kind of last hits here on on what Maryland did well this season and and what you're excited about moving forward?
1: Not necessarily this season, but I would just say like, I think we're we're two days away from the date where it was actually announced that Kevin Willard was hired even though it seemed like it was, it was done for weeks, even before the NCAA tournament started. I think Kevin Willard is going to, going to be coaching in Maryland for over, well over a decade, well over a decade. And I think, I think he's going to have way more success, at least tournament success, big 10 championship success than Turgeon had in the decade that Turgeon was here. And I just, I I think, I think a lot of special things are ahead for Maryland. I really trust Kevin Willard um, as a coach. Another quick point. I think, there's going to be a lot of turnover, not this in the, in the immediate future. I think Maryland's success moving forward is going to create a lot of turnover on the staff. Like I could see David Cox getting another head coaching job. Oh, I could yeah. see Tony skin being a rising star in the business, getting a head coaching job. That's a big thing with Turgeon as well. Whereas like some of his hires, when coaches were leaving, who he was promoting, who he wasn't promoting, there was a lot of questionable stuff going on with that. And that, that was kind of plays into the recruiting, the DMV area, building, continuing to build a staff when you have some of those departures, um, is going to be key and that's a couple of years down the line. I just think that's an interesting point. but I think Kevin was going to be the coach here for a decade plus well well over maybe fifteen years plus and he's going to have a lot of success and and if this year didn't prove it i I think fan I think fans have a lot to be happy about and there's a lot to be excited about moving forward with this team
2: yeah, I mean I, I think this team you know you you hope from a Maryland fan perspective that this team isn't as good as it gets for Kevin Willard. And I think the expectation has to be that it won't be. Um, But I think there's no doubt that this year's team will always kind of hold a special place in Maryland fans' hearts just because of what they meant to the program. He talks about laying the foundation. I think this team perfectly laid that foundation for now building up to the next step, which is competing for real championships, which isn't, you know, having these home road splits, which is being a top, 10 team in the country not being like the number 13 team for like one week like being like a top 10 team for the whole year i think this team really did an unbelievable job of reinvigorating the fans of bringing the program back to a point where people are talking about it in a positive light again and i think that can't be underestimated as we move forward as you look back at the guys on this team no matter who decides to come back no matter who leaves I think as you look back on this team, um, you're going to have no choice but to look back on it positively, and I think that um, they probably they overachieved compared to expectations, but perhaps our expectations were too harsh. I think maybe they were better than we realized, and I, I think that's a, a positive step moving mm-hmm. forward if you can only build the talent level from here. If this is what this team was capable of, uh it definitely is very exciting to think about what teams, once you start getting a couple great recruiting classes in, once you start bringing in... even Better guys from the portal. It's it's pretty interesting to think about what Maryland could be and what it could get back to, which is, you know, like we talked about, which is hanging banner, which is complete competing for championships, which I, I think is by no means out of the question in, in the near future, not even just a couple
0: years down the road, like in in a year or two, I think that's definitely a possibility. No doubt. I, I think the biggest thing I'll remember is just one, how good this team was at home and the moments that Lord was able to create there. And, you know, it's only year one of this thing that that building's going to be a, a premier place to play. And once again, one of the you know scariest places for opponents to play in the country for the foreseeable future. And just the fact, yeah, we can we can talk about preseason expectations and what we thought there. Maybe we were a little too harsh. Maybe we weren't. The fact that this team was able to get to number 13 in the country a month, a month into the job that Kevin Willard did um, in the regular season is amazing. I think there's plenty of reason for excitement. Um and, and certainly excited to to watch it all. Um Emmett'll Emmett'll be on the the men's basketball beat next year. Unfortunately, um bearing uh, some real life changes, that'll be it for uh for Sam and <laughs> yeah, I. you um, guys should take take your COVID year. Take your COVID year next year. We'll Might see. Happen. Maybe maybe maybe
1: not. Maybe we'll be back. We'll see.
0: Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get I'll get a second degree. Who who knows? But uh now it's 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 been a pleasure we appreciate you guys you know following us throughout the pod which the pod the pod's not ending. we'll we'll be here next week and, and and weeks to come but uh the coverage all season i think on behalf of all of us i can say um was really appreciated um at dot on twitter on the pod everything um it it was certainly a blast um but on on behalf of uh Sam Oshry, i'm at Siegel i'm Ben Dixon thank you guys for listening we'll uh we'll talk to you next week